0: Coming to you live from the Fuel 50 booth at the heart of HR tech, it's the Chad and Cheese podcast. We are diving deep into the world of HR technology, tackling workforce challenges with innovative solutions, and we'd like to give special thanks to Fuel 50, the science-based talent marketplace that bridges skills gaps, unlocks hidden potential, and supports better retention and engagement. Let's do this. Hide your kids. kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Soash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right Right where it hurts. hurts. Complete complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast.
1: Oh yeah, it's your parole officer's favorite podcast, a.k.a. the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host. Joel Cheeseman joined as always, Chad Sowash. We are live Hello. at HR Tech from the Fuel 50 booth, and we Woo. are happy to welcome for his fourth appearance fourth. on our show. The fifth one, he gets a velvet jacket. Going <laughs> for the jacket. He gets a jacket, so he's on his way. Keith Sonderling, EEOC Commissioner. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you again. for
2: having me back. For Friend the, of the show. For the fourth time. Wow. I really appreciate it.
1: Friend of Chad and Cheese, he's a Fokker.
2: And the- he's <laughs> a proud Fokker. And that's right. And I also have to mention, of course, at HR Tech in yeah. a full suit and tie for the Chad and Cheese podcast. Yeah, as you don't stick your, out at all. Your, your cool <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. uh,
0: t shirts So it was, it was funny because he was coming down the escalator yesterday when we were meeting him. Uh-huh. You know, just to kind of like you know say, hey, we're going to check out the trampy and he was coming, coming down. He was coming down the escalator. He With didn't the have the tie pizza on. In the
1: background,
0: and it was funny because Julie was like, "I can't believe he's wearing a suit." I'm like, "Of course he's wearing a
1: yeah. suit.
2: Got to play the part." <laughs> so
1: Keith, it's your fourth <laughs> show. Some people don't know you. Just give us a quick Twitter bio about you and what you do.
2: Sure. I'm Keith Sonderling, Commissioner at the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. That's a mouthful. EEOC, as you all in HR know it. The charge of discrimination coming across your desk. And that's us. Before uh, joining the EEOC, I was the Acting and Deputy Administrator at the Wage and Hour Division. Also, something very familiar to HR professionals. And before that, I was an employment lawyer in Florida defending hr professionals there you go in uh, cases against these same government agencies so i've seen uh, both sides both of the equations sides. and uh and a florida grad
1: we're, we don't have confirmation on the tim tebow tramp stamp yeah. <laughs> but we will eventually eventually get him to a pool the, where we find what's out what's the name what's of the mascot on. what's it? that gator
0: is there,
2: the albert oh. albert and alberta oh yeah do you have so wow, do you have albert edgy. like between the, the the shoulder blades that's or? a question i don't have to answer yeah so, <laughs>
1: let's jump into it dude you're everywhere you're at salesforce you're at uh, linkedin you're here at hr tech That's something that most past commissioners don't do. What's your goal? What are you finding? What are you hoping to learn and get out of all this traveling?
2: uh, It's really important for me to get out and leave D.C. because, you know, the action is happening around the country. And if I stay in the Washington, D.C. bubble, I'm not going to be able to, you know, learn what HR professionals, what tech buyers, what tech developers, what tech funders, with the practical applications of these really advanced HR software and workplace technology tools, which, as you know, I believe is the future is where all this is going. I'm not going to be able to be able to give the guidance and regulate in this area if I don't understand... The community. If I don't understand what the concerns are, if I don't even understand what the products are that are being offered, yeah. you know, so many times in D.C. it's just hypothetical. Well, I believe tech vendors are making these kind of products that are going to potentially discriminate and do this, and then you you come to these shows, and the reality of it is that technology doesn't even exist, and yeah. they don't even, you know, they yeah. can't even make programs that do what they're being accused of doing in Washington D.C. Yeah. So that's why it's so important for me to get out, to talk to people, to walk around these booths, to really work with the vendors and help them in a sense too of saying. That here's what you're here's the problem in HR you're trying to solve. All of these problems, as you both know, have significant legal implications. Yeah. And how can I help give those tools and guidance based upon long standing laws, nothing new here, nah. to actually have them be able to develop the technology, to sell the technology, and then more importantly, the people buying the technologies, the companies, the HR departments, what they the questions they need answered as well when they're. Buy all these products, and suddenly it's in their portfolio. Yeah. And then, also, most importantly, we can't forget the users of these products. Right? Yeah. Who are them? Who are the consumers here? It's the employees. It's applicants. Yeah. And you know that's who we protect at the EEOC. Well, as the well. impact, the right? The impact of yeah. that. So you can see how it really. It's the entire ecosystem. And it's so important for me to learn all the different perspectives that come with that, or we won't be able to do our jobs in DC.
1: Are you doing a secret shopper kind of thing? Because you, you stick out like a sore thumb.
2: I probably should have Hi, I'm HR Joe yeah. here to
1: ask you about your uh, unbiased. Would you like solution? a Chad Cheese
2: t shirt? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I need to go a little more undercover, so, but no. There's a
0: lot of fear around AI. We're seeing it in, uh, in DC, we're seeing it throughout practitioners are afraid. I mean it's one of those things where, you know, you are now digging into it. Should they be that afraid of AI in large language models?
2: You know, it's not the the, the fear. That concerns me or okay. they shouldn't be afraid. They should just say, well, okay, how are we using this? Yes. What purpose are we using it for? And how is it going to impact my workers? And that's the questions that they should be thinking about when they're buying, when they're figuring out to develop this. And those are longstanding questions that HR professionals and talent acquisition has been asking for any kind of recruitment tool. Yeah, well, Before so AI, it's no different. before computers, before yeah. you, any of this was on the internet, when you're just doing employment assessments on pencil and paper, right? There were considerations there. Is this actually going to make a productive workforce or is this going to be a tool that discriminates? And that, you know, outside of technology has existed for a long time. We need to just go back to that thinking when it comes to these technologies. Here's what I know in HR. Here's the impacts of Mm -hmm. whatever program I'm doing. And now because of the scale of generative AI, the scale of technology, it's just much higher stakes. That's that's the key, right? So when we
0: moved from paper and pencil, uh, paper and pen applications to the internet. We saw huge scale, right? Huge in scale. So we were able to get more qualified and more candidates into our systems, but we couldn't manage that very well, which is where the black hole came from. And there are also regulations and things, you know, that. In Internet applicant rule. Yep. A lot of a lot of things happened because of that, but that scale was like step one. This is like the next step of scale, right? So we've seen this before, and this is what I'm hearing from you. We've seen this before. Don't be afraid. We have to be able to understand, which where you guys come in to educate and then enforce. If if if
1: the education's not taking, <laughs> and then arrests, <laughs> <And> arrests. <Wow. laughs> he has handcuffs in his back pocket. I don't think I don't right think, I don't think I've so seen you anybody yourself, Chad.
0: in in a in a orange jumpsuit. Uh, due to the EEOC, oh, have yeah.
1: we? You just, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please let us know when that, they're that
2: I'll, when I'll that give happens. you a warning. But, you know, in all seriousness, relating to issues like generative AI now, yeah. and all the buzz at these conferences is how generative AI is going to make your workers more effective, how you'll be able to eliminate positions by incorporating generative AI. And in your podcast, you talk about all the time about all the newspaper articles saying X amount of employees are going to be laid off, or, you know, a company saying, well, we're going to completely not hire for this position anymore because we could use generative AI, what yeah. we're seeing with some of the striking workers yeah. in Hollywood related to fears of generative AI. Yeah. But let's just break that down, what it's actually doing to where HR professionals and talent acquisition understand. So if you're saying, if you're in TA now, and your boss is saying, okay, we're, we're no longer going to hire for this position because we're going to use gender AI, uh-huh. or you're on the other side of the house, we're saying, now we need to lay off these workers because the computers can do it faster. Yeah. Who is that going to impact, right? So if you're laying off certain groups, what are the breakdowns on protected characteristics such as race, sex, ethnicity, and how is it going to impact those groups? So before you're saying, well, let's just wipe out this entire team. Yeah. You think about how much money companies spent on diversity, equity, inclusion, oh, yeah. getting it in young, new, diverse, talented workers from applicant pools that they've never seen before. Yeah. So you spent millions and millions of dollars and all this software to get in a diverse workforce. Now you have a decision to say, okay, we have generative AI. We can now replace this workers. Who's getting impacted from these reduction in workforce? We've seen it before. Forget technology. First in, first out. Yep. Older workers who are making a lot more than some of the younger workers because they've been there longer. And that's the same implications that's going to happen when you're talking about using generative AI. So if you don't do it carefully, right, a theme we've talked about before, just the amount of care and time and effort it needs to take when integrating these softwares, what are you going to have? You're going to lay off a whole group, which is now going to be your most diverse group that you've just done through your um, recruiting. Uh And the impacts of that are going to be discriminatory or you're saying well the older workers you know they may be impacted because they don't understand the technology as much we don't want to spend more resources to go out and train them that can be age discrimination and that is not much different than we've seen in reduction in workforces in the past you know how certain groups get broken down. So I think there just needs to be a lot extra care when you're talking about the generative AI, replacing workers, or even making workers more efficient. Yeah. Right. Think about that. Now, chat, GPT is going to make your job 80% more efficient. Well, you need to learn how to do it. Yeah. And that may be difficult for disabled workers if they don't have the accommodations necessary. So again, it's a lot of those basic HR principles that we can't lose sight of just because yeah. it's new technology. So
0: I'm going to flip the, the script real quick. One of the reasons why disabled workers are having a moment right now is because they were able to work remote, right? Now we have all these companies who are moving everybody back into the offices, right? And that is not something that many of these individuals can actually do. So therefore, from your standpoint, are are you actually, you and the team actually looking at how this move back to the office is bad from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint? And- negatively impacting individuals with disabilities who are doing the job at record levels.
1: And these are people hired remotely, thought their job would always be remote. Exactly. And now the
2: switcheroo, it's not. And you've seen a lot of articles on that. And let me just take a step back. You know, at the EEOC, the federal government, we can't get involved in business decisions of whether or not your employees should work remotely or they should work in the office, Uh right? Um, The employers still have that, you know, outside of a collective bargaining agreement or Mm -hmm. contract, you know, which could be breach of contract claims in what you're talking about saying, well, my contract says I get to work from home. Now I come Uh, to the office. Different story, right? Our perspective is whatever decision you make whether you allow certain groups to work remotely, whether everyone has to come back in the office, that's up to you. But for those who can't come back to the office because of a disability, you have to engage in that process. And what we're seeing now is so much pressure to get everyone back to the office. Well, isn't
0: that an accommodation and something that is normal for a company to talk about? Is it a normal accommodation for an individual who needs to be able to work from home?
2: Right. But we never saw it before the pandemic, because those they accommodations, weren't working. Those accommodations <laughs> you you know, people weren't working remotely. Yeah. People were coming in the office. And if you said, I don't want to come in the office, you know, five days a week because I have fear about riding the subway system, because let's just say, you know, there's significant crime in my city now and that gives me anxiety, or I'm worried about getting the next strand of the virus. Yeah. What would a what would you say? Okay come to work or you're fired, get on the subway and get to work, right? You've never really seen those before, but now this is really coming in to where employers can't just put those aside because they're really coming in under mental health claims under the Americans with Disability Act, which you're alluding to in that sense where before, there was never a federally protected right to telework, to yeah. remote work. Mm-hmm. Now what we're seeing is that the claims are coming in because employers are saying, I can't come back to the office because I'm depressed related to coming back to my old world, that I'm so much more you know, productive at home. I've had a new life at home. That's one thing. But now they're saying that my mental health is not allowing me to return to that world. And I've gone and sought treatment and I'm coming to you, HR, and saying, I am disabled under the Americans with Disability Act. Uh-huh. And if HR departments, and this is my key message when it comes to this whole conversation, if you're not empowered to go through that interactive process, and if you are under pressure by your bosses to get everyone back in the office, and you are ignoring those claims uh-huh. because you either think they're ridiculous, they don't think they're right, that's not for you to determine. You have to engage in that process to see if that, you know, here's the condition, the employee is coming, what are the accommodations related to this condition working with their mental health provider or yeah. their MD, whatever it is, and saying, well, maybe a remote work schedule is what that accommodation is. Maybe it's coming in at different hours. Maybe it's uh, alternative commuting methods. Maybe it's having noise-canceling headsets or having dim lights. Just, the answer may not be remote work, right. but just engaging in that process with their healthcare professionals is what HR departments need to focus on. To your point, they know how to do that, but they have to be empowered to do that even though there's such a push to return to the office because it is going to impact disabled workers um, more than others. And we're really seeing the mental health claims rise significantly. And what do we mean by mental health at the EEOC? Um, The top claims are anxiety, PTSD, and depression. And we're seeing those claims really increase year after year, and that's where you know, disability discrimination has been there for a long time, but we're seeing the types of claims coming in. And a lot of that is simply just not engaging in that process yeah. to see what those accommodations
1: are. Where is be. napping on the list? Because I'm waiting for that to be a disability <laughs> that my employer recognizes.
0: Because I don't recognize napping.
1: <laughs> uh, I, uh, been, you, you guys have been in the news a lot with indictments and in cases that are being brought. What's the reason for that? Is there a trend on the kind of cases that you're seeing these days as opposed to years past?
2: Yeah, you know, well, we have had an uptick in um, litigation, and there was an ch- uptick in charge of discrimination. And for our fiscal year 2022 increase, which went up 20% from the year before, a lot of those were related to the post-COVID vaccination claims, right? Oh. So everyone was always asking you know, tell us how COVID has impacted the workforce. Well, we had additional 10,000 religious discrimination charges related to employers, employees who did not want to get the vaccine and fighting over that. So we saw that blip related to there. So that's one reason for the increase there. But as far as litigation is concerned, you are seeing an uptick in those cases. And a lot of those, again, it's related to what those trends are. Uh And we're seeing a lot of claims related to um, disability discrimination um, increase in addition to the number one cause of discrimination in the United States year after year is, want to take a guess? Oh, maybe I can. Got I'm you. taking over the podcast no, 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 here. No, no. That's not how it works. Hey, listen, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in
0: this. This okay. is your job. My, <laughs> my gender affirming
1: uh, something right uh, I was.
2: I was waiting for you to, to say something. But the number one claim of discrimination across the board, in all seriousness, is retaliation. And we're ah, seeing that yes, because yes. it's tacked onto other claims. So you come in and say, you know, I wasn't paid because the same as my coworker who's uh, of additional national origin. And the employer says, yes, you were. And now you're getting paid less or yes, you were. And now you're fired. Right. So we really see those claims in addition to the underlying claims where you request an accommodation or you claim you're not paid equally or you claim you're discriminated against and then something happens to your employment. So we're seeing a combination of a lot of those in the litigations. So you have the underlying claim of discrimination and you have the retaliation and that just tacks on more um, causes yeah. of action for employers and
1: you, you just had your first AI specific case talk about that and, and how it ended
2: so this was a case um, that we brought uh, out of New York and it was a company that was using their hiring website and the, and this is sort of the, the broader debate which you'll hear about what is AI what is machine learning yes is this really AI or yes. not and most people would say including me that this was not AI yeah. but uh, listen to the facts here so there was a, a a company that offered it was a Chinese company in New York that offered English tutoring service in the United States. Okay. And uh, their application system, which was just their website, somebody went and applied, and they put in their birth date, immediately rejected. Uh. Same person went back. Hello. And changed their birth date by a few years to be a few years younger and was immediately accepted. Uh. Now, none of us are machine learning PhD MIT (laughs) scientists, (laughs) right? But I think... The three of us collectively, can with deduce, our small computer brains, could, crack could, that could probably make that code pretty easily, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. right? could crack that this, code. This is my yeah. 18 year, Bring in the best investigators, <laughs> Chad and Cheese on the case. But you see here, I mean, that's just basic coding, right? That's not sophisticated algorithms yeah. in the sense. So. There, they blame the AI. They they blame the computers. They blame the system. (laughs) They also said that you know, in other countries, they're allowed to do this. It's not us. This doesn't fly in that sense, where that's just straight age discrimination. But it goes to a broader point, which we've talked about on earlier podcasts about how quickly on the applicant side that these cases can scale, yes. right? So yes. think about every person who's qualified for that job that would have applied for that job and would have been rejected because of their age or didn't see that advertisement because of their age could be in a potential class of age discrimination against that employer. And that's why it's so critical in the talent acquisition space where you know having your your systems ensuring that they're not automatically screening out people based on age, people based on gender, you know, what these tools can allow you to do, or where you're actually doing your advertisement placements. And there's a lot of technology out there that's going to help with diversity recruiting, getting job ads in different places. Well, if there is, whether it's a line of code or the algorithms designed not to show the advertisement, which of course is federally protected to certain groups based on race, Age, sex—you know—we really see this more in the age context, like uh-huh. new college grads. Just let's just go there. Everyone who is qualified for the job can be a part of that class of saying that they were discriminated against, right. and the employer would be liable for not potentially hiring them. Yeah. you know, there's a complicated analysis to get there, but you see the value of these cases, how large they can get quickly. Yeah, and then another part too what we did in one case, we made the, the employer use uh, AI to go through. In a, in a job board to go through their system to make sure that there wasn't any discriminatory terms too close to each other that would preclude people to apply or not to apply. Yeah, so you can see yeah. there's also good uses of this too, which we've talked about on the front end advertisement side. But you know we haven't seen the large scale cases yet. And why is that? It's because- a lot of employees still don't know they're being subject to the algorithms. Yeah. They don't know whether it's an interview, whether their natural language process is, is looking at what they're saying. Right. That consent requirement, which uh-huh. we don't have yet, um, until we see that, I, I think it's going to be very hard to for these cases to come to us. Because don't forget, when you come to the EEOC, you're just claiming discrimination based on protected category. So, you're coming in saying, I was discriminated by uh, my age. There's not a box that says technology discrimination, right? Just like Earlier on, there wasn't COVID discrimination. So right. we have to then do the investigation to see, well, was this COVID related? Yeah. Was this technology related? And uh-huh. that takes time and resources. So until you see changes in the law and consent or employers start doing consent, you'll start correlating some of these cases that will come in. Keith,
1: thanks for popping in. Is. We know you're a busy guy visiting a lot of companies oh, and people. be and on and the lookout. For those listeners that want to connect with you, maybe have some questions, where would you send them? Find
2: me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect on there.
1: Soon to be sporting a Chad and Cheese smoking jacket on his (laughs) LinkedIn profile. (laughs) Chad, it's always fun to sit down with Keith. We out. We out.
0: Wow. Look at you. You made it through an entire episode of the Chad and Cheese podcast. Or maybe you cheated and fast forwarded to the end. Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back. Valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell, enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey, or just watch big booty Latinas and bugfights on TikTok. No, you hung out with these two chuggle heads instead. Now go take a shower and wash off all the guilt, but save some soap, because you'll be back. Like an awful train wreck, you can't look away.
1: And like Chad's favorite western, you can't quit them either. We out.